0: Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon, and remember. You are love. Amen. Amen. God is good, and all the time. God is good, man. Amen. So last time I was up here sharing with you guys, I finished off in the book of James, and it was James chapter 4. There is one more chapter left in the book of James. It's James chapter 5, but I'm not going to be preaching James chapter 5 today. I will get back to James chapter 5 so we could wrap up that series sometime. I don't know when, uh, because God has really placed on my heart to start a new series in the book of Romans. Are you guys familiar with the book of Romans? Amen. The book of Romans is such a powerful letter that Paul was writing at the time. And there's so much great information. So today we're going to start with Romans chapter 7. That's where the study is going to be today. Romans chapter 7. And I just really want to give you some background on what's going on when this letter was written. Paul wrote this epistle to the Romans while he was staying in Corinth. And the primary topic of this epistle is explaining salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we also get great doctrine that Paul outlines throughout this letter as well. Um, and just a little bit of our background here. Most scholars actually believe that this letter was dated around 55 to maybe early 57 AD. And it's holding 16 chapters um, of Paul really breaking down of what unity should look like in the church. And the church in Rome was compromised of Jews and Gentiles. And it's where a lot of strife began to happen between the two. And Paul begins to address this in his writings to the Romans. Now, I want you to know this. In this letter, Paul was preparing the to visit them. So he wasn't in actual Rome at the time of, his, of him writing these epistles. Paul's goal was to stop in Rome and then to take the gospel over to the area of Spain. So that's what he wanted to do. He wanted Rome to kind of be like the base of operations. That's what his intention was. And, and from there, he would take the gospel everywhere else. And obviously, we know by Scripture that, unfortunately, that didn't happen. As Paul was martyred in Rome, he was imprisoned there. And while in prison, he wrote quite, few, quite of the few New Testament epistles. And, and eventually, he was killed in Rome for his faith in Jesus so now, we're here. We're going to be taking a look today at part of chapter 7 and some of chapter 8. The, uh, the meat of my message really is going to be of chapter 8. And we're not going to get too much into chapter 8 today, um, but we need to have a great understanding of what is going on and, and what Paul is addressing in these chapters. So I have to set this up for you because... I can't just jump into chapter 8 and you have no idea what he's talking about in chapter 7. So I'm going to set this up for you here today, going into chapter 7. And then the next time that we meet, we're going to go into chapter 8. I know it's kind of weird. Usually when a preacher starts a series, they're starting from the first chapter of the book. And I'm starting from chapter 7. But it's okay. We'll go through chapter 7, chapter 8. And then we might go back to chapter 1, chapter 2. Whatever. We'll see what the Spirit does. Amen? So... A lot of what Paul is talking about here in chapter 7 is about sin. And not only that we have been rescued from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin. And many Christians, and maybe some of you identify with this, or maybe you know Christians like this, we're good with just living in the part of being free from the penalty of sin. But sin still has power over their lives. And Paul comes and he confronts us with this and he starts talking about the freedom that we have now. Freedom from the penalty of sin and freedom from the power of sin. So today, if you are taking notes, the title of this message is going to be Romans Road, You Are Not Condemned. Romans Road, You Are Not Condemned. So you could turn with me today in your device or if you have a, a Bible out to Romans chapter 7. And we're going to be looking today at verses 7 through 24. You could turn there and I want you to hold the spot there in the Bible for a moment. Because I want to do something first with you guys that's going to be of great benefit as we go through this study here today. And I want to do something, and maybe you haven't done this in a long time. I want to go through the list of the Ten Commandments. And I want you to help me out here and don't worry, this is not an exam. We're not going to pull you aside after service and tell you, hey, listen, I have to have a one-on-one meeting with you. You need extra Bible study. We're not doing that, okay? So I just want to go over them with you, uh, and you can shout them out as I go through the list if you know them. Does anybody know commandment number one? I'll give you a hint. It starts with you shall. (laughs) You shall have no other gods before me. You remember? The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, thou shalt not make any graven images. You guys remember that one? You shall not make any graven images. Commandment number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. And my mom is sitting here and she's looking at me like, yeah, that's something that you should have done. (laughs) Honor your father and your mother. Number six, thou shalt not kill. Number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. Number nine, thou shalt not bear false witness. And number 10, you shall not covet. A lot of times we remember the most popular commandments, right? Oh, you can't kill, you can't steal, you can't lie. Those are the ones that we typically remember. Um, but there's a, ten, there's a list of 10 of them. You know, when's the last time that you guys read those out loud? It's probably been a long time. It's probably been a while. And probably the last time you did this was maybe when you were in Sunday school. You know, we always remember the teachers in Sunday school. We go over the Ten Commandments And I I remember that. And Paul references these commandments now in this scripture quite a bit. So that's why I wanted to go over them with you. So keep them close. And I want to start out by saying that these Ten Commandments are known as the law. And you're going to hear me say this today quite often. And you're going to hear it in the following scriptures as well. So when Paul says in the scripture, when he says the law, he's talking about the commandments. He's talking about the commandments. And we're going to get into them here in a second. And you're going to see that the commandments, and I'm going to say something here that may come to a shock to some of you, okay? The commandments aren't actually good. I know you're looking at me. What do you mean the commandments aren't good? Now, I have to explain this, and we're going to get into it now in the scriptures. The commandments in themselves are perfect. And the commandments are good, but the commandments are not good for you and me. And we're going to get into it. Why the Ten Commandments are not good for you and me. We're going to look at this and, and there's going to be some questions you may have. And some of you, is what I said, you're going to be like, what do you mean these commandments aren't good? I was always taught in Bible camp, follow the Ten Commandments. So let me tell you this, today is a good day to take notes. Excellent day to take notes. Amen? All right, Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read through the text uh, so it can begin to stir in our hearts and in our minds. So we're going to start Romans 7, verse 7. And it says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? There it is. He's saying it first. The law. He's talking about the commandments. Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said you shall not covet verse 8 but sin taking opportunity by the commandments produced in me all manner of evil desire from apart from the law sin was dead I was alive once without the law but when the commandment came sin revived and I died and the commandment which was to bring life I found to bring death For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond, beyond measure. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh for i have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out for i do not do the good that i want but the evil i do not want is what i keep doing now if i do what i do want to do it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells within me so i find it to be a law that when i want to do right evil lies close at hand for i delight in the law of god in my inner being We thank you for this text, for this scripture here today, Lord. And and we need you here today, Father God. We need you, Lord, for understanding, Lord, for for clarity, Lord, that we may interpret this text correctly, Father God. So, Lord, we pray that it is nothing of us here today, but that we just let your scripture do the speaking. So we thank you, Lord. We give you this here today in Jesus' name. And together we say yes and Amen. 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 Do you guys remember this text in Romans chapter 7? It's a very popular verse here that Paul begins to speak on. And we're going to get into it where he starts saying he keeps doing the things that he doesn't want to do. And that's a little bit further in the text and we're going to get there. And there's so much great and deep information here to dissect today. And I'm not sure if we're going to get through it all, but if we do, we do. If we don't, it's okay. We'll pick it up next time. So we see that the gist of what Paul is trying to outline here. He's talking about sin. He's talking about the law. He's talking about the commandments. Okay? And he's telling us that he would have never known what sin was if it wasn't for the commandments. And now he's confronting us with this. And he's saying there is a problem here. So where does this problem lie? Is it with the commandments or is it with us? So let's start. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. So there's a great analogy here that a lot of people use when it comes to this verse. And it's a speed limit side. Have you guys ever seen those digital speed limit readers sometimes when you're going through a neighborhood? And yeah, there's a sign sometimes that says, Don't even think about speeding. Have you guys seen those? As something just rises up in you. What do you mean, don't think? I'm thinking about speeding right now, right? And we see those digital speed limit signs there. If the sign would have never existed, then I would have never known that it's wrong to speed. The sign acts as an object to tell you, hey, don't do this. It's, it's there really for our benefit. And I see those speed limit signs, and I did this when I was a young man, Um Obviously, first I'd look around and make sure nobody was there. There's no cops hiding in the corner or anything. And I want to see how high I could get that number on that speed limit sign. I just, man, I want to gun it. And I want to go fast. And I want to see how fast I could go. And listen, some of you are laughing, but you know you did the very same thing. Okay? There's just something in us. This sign is telling me not to do it, but I want to do it. I want to speed. But what happens if we speed? Bad things can happen, right? We can get a ticket, we can crash, we could hurt someone. So the sign is there for our benefit. And that's what Paul is saying here in verse 7. If it wasn't for the law, then I would have never known what sin is. I wouldn't know it's wrong to covet unless something told me it was wrong. You see, in order for us to know what's wrong, we have to know what's right. We have to know what's right. You know it's wrong to speed. Why? Because the speed limit sign is posted everywhere telling you, don't do it. Don't speed. And then we go into verse 8 and he says, But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. It produced evil desire. That's kind of weird for him to say that, right? It's like, man, wait a minute, Paul. Like, you're an apostle. You're like a man of God. What do you mean you have evil desire? And when I read that, I'm like, man, that's kind of weird. What is Paul saying here? And it's this, as humans, we naturally like to do what when we see rules? We want to break them. We want to break the rules. That's what we want to do. And it's what I told you when I was younger. I see the speed limit sign, and man, I just want to go fast. I know it's telling me not to go fast, but I want to break the law. I want to go really fast. And it's crazy. Let's be honest. Most of us were probably even speeding this morning on our way here. I saw you guys that walked in at 1010. Okay? There's some of you walked in at 1030. And there's probably going to be more people that are going to walk in a little bit later. I know you're speeding to get here to church today. We break the law. And it's okay. Listen, we can have intercessory prayer for you guys afterwards, okay? All these lawbreakers in here. But why do we do these things? It's because by nature... We are rebellious people. That's why. We're rebellious. We don't like rules. We don't want to be, uh, we want to be the rulers of our own lives. And if they're rules, our instinct is what? It's to break the rules. And we've heard it saying, rules are meant to be broken. Right? You always hear like that old saying, people say, oh yeah, rules are meant to be broken. Rules don't apply to me. And rules and this and rules and that. And that's what we want to do. We're born with a rebellious nature. So tell one of your kids not to do something. What do they want to do? The exact opposite. They want to do what you're telling them not to do. So how how does that happen? Where do they learn that? It's not learned. It's in their nature. It's in our nature. It's an internal battle within us. You're telling me not to, but I want to so bad. And it could be something that you even don't like to do. But just because of the fact that you're telling me I can't do it, I really want to do it now. I really want to do it. I had stopped somebody. For those of you who don't know, um, I'm a part-time police officer. So I'm going to tell you a quick little story. I had stopped somebody. There is this thing that we have. It's every year. Every police department in Florida does this. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Click It or Ticket. Okay? And it's to raise... Yeah, I heard somebody. Oh, yeah, I got a ticket for that once. <laughs> okay? It's, it's to raise awareness on how seatbelts save lives. Okay? And it's, I forgot what month it is, but it's like a whole month of, like, cops just go crazy riding seatbelt tickets. And I had stopped this. It was very interesting. I stopped this one gentleman one day, and he's not wearing his seatbelt. And then I told him, okay, sir, hi, I'm Officer Martinez with the X and X Police Department. Um, I'm stopping you today because you're not wearing your seatbelt. And this guy just looks at me. He goes, okay, so? I go, well, you're breaking the law. And I had to explain to him the campaign that we're doing and how seatbelts save lives. And he says, you know what? I shouldn't have to wear my seatbelt. It should be my choice. I go, I understand that. No problem. But I'm the the one who wrote the law. If you have an issue with the seatbelt law, you have to write to your legislators in Florida. The law is there for your benefit. What if you get into an accident, God forbid, and you fly out the window because you weren't wearing your seatbelt? Well, you know, officer, I still feel it should be my choice to wear the seatbelt or not. Okay, just give me your license registration. I'll be right back. So I gave him tickets to Disney on Ice. No, it wasn't Disney on Ice. I gave him tickets to the courthouse so he could go explain his situation to the judge. But that's what happened. I'm not, I have to tell you, I'm not the law writer. You need to take it up with the people who write the law. And sometimes that becomes us. We don't want to do what the Bible tells us because we don't agree with it. We don't agree with it. So what happens when you break the law? There's a penalty to be paid. There's a penalty to be paid for sin. So the issue really happens is we have to take it up with God. He's the one that's writing the scripture, right? He's the one that wrote the law. It's, it's with Him. It's a problem with us. It's not a problem with Him. And that's a place that we could get to sometimes. And Paul is saying that the commandment is there. The law is there. And we know that the law is good but we still want to break it. And that's why he says our flesh will produce all manner of evil desire. Now look at the last part of verse 8 and what it says. For apart from the law, sin was dead. What does this mean? There is no sin if there is no commandment for it. So is it wrong to murder? Is it wrong to lie? Is adultery wrong? How do we know this? Because there's a law against it. So apart from the law, sin is dead. The law brings out what sin is. You guys following me here? So it's like what I said earlier with the speed limit side. You know it's wrong to speed because the sign is telling you not to speed. And then you see in verse 9 what he says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So there was a time in Paul's life and there was a time in your life where I'm sure we were just living our best life now. Everybody in here, I'm sure, for the most, most of us, we were just wilding out, living our best life now. Why? Because we didn't confront sin. And Paul as well, he didn't confront sin because he didn't know what sin was. And that's what he's saying. He was alive Without the law. But look what he says. The commandment came. Sin revived and I died. He got confronted with the commandments. And now he sees that he has sin. And sin when it's revived it leads to death. And this is exactly how the world lives. This is exactly how I lived. Maybe most of you lived like this prior to coming to Christ. We want to live our best life now. Not worried and unaware Of what sin is. Man, but when they, when the world is revealed truth and confronted with the commandment, then they have a choice to make. We had a choice to make when truth was revealed to us. Amen? You guys agree with that? We had a choice to make because now knowledge has come. And when we get information on something and the information tells us, listen, don't do this, it may be bad, we have a choice to make. Do we follow the information that's meant to be good or do we rebel and reject it? What do we do? The choice is ours. We've been confronted with the information. We have all of the chess pieces. What move are we going to make? Look at verse 10 in the commandment, which was to bring life I found to bring death. It's funny he says this. Why, if the law, if the commandment is good, is it to bring forth death? It's simple. Because we can't keep it. We can't keep the commandments. And this is the part where we see that legalism doesn't work. Do you guys know what legalism is? Have you heard that term before? Legalism. Legalism doesn't work. Why? Because we cannot keep the commandments. If we say we've broken one, we have broken them all. Look what James 2 verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. You become guilty of every single commandment if you've just broken one. That's what scripture is teaching here. So Paul has recognized that the commandments were supposed to give me life have actually brought me death. Why? Because now I see that I have sin and sin brings forth death. Now in verse 11, he says, "For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and it killed me." Therefore, the law, and I told you this earlier, the law is holy, which means it's perfect, and the commandment is holy and just and good. And Paul Paul places really where the problem is. It's on our sin. He was deceived by it, and it leads to death. And in verse 12, he says that the law is good, it's perfect and holy, and there's no issue with it. There's no blemish on it. It's not stained. The problem is with us. That's where the problem lies. I'm the rebellious one. I'm the one that doesn't want to keep it. I choose to do the wrong sin, and this sin leads to death. You see, because the law is perfect, because the lawgiver is perfect. There's no issue with what God gave to Moses. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. There's no issue with what God gave him. The issue is with the people. Do you guys know that, what God's standard is? God's standard is perfection. That's what His standard is. It's perfection. We don't measure up to that standard. We don't measure up to it. Is that kind of hard to hear sometimes? It's like, wait a minute, man, I'm a great person. I'm good. What what standard are we measuring ourselves by? That's the problem. We measure ourselves by an earthly standard. And on an earthly standard, we feel we're so good and we're great. But then we look at Scripture and Scripture is saying something else. We are going to be judged by God's standard. God's standard is perfection. So what happens with imperfect people when we stand before a perfect and holy God? Thanks be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to get into that. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? And look what he look he says, by no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And he's just reiterating it here that the law which is good is what brings death to me. And he says, look what he says, by no means. It's not the actual law that is bringing me death. It's my sinful nature that is bringing me death. The law is is, is exposing my sin. I know what sin is because of it. And this is where legalism gets put to death. It's a list of do's and don't do's. And we've seen this so many times. Maybe if some of you have been through various churches in your life. We see this through a lot of churches. And I'm sorry, it just doesn't work the list doesn't it doesn't work a friend of mine once told me this he says omar i teach my kids the 10 commandments and i tell them live by that that that's all that you need listen i'm not preaching against the 10 commandments because then that would mean that i'm preaching immorality i'm not preaching immorality we certainly want to be moral people right so i told him i said okay Try and live by the Ten Commandments. You're going to see that we fall so short of it. We need something else to save us. And I told them, tell your kids this. Tell them to fix their eyes on Jesus instead. Fix their eyes on the cross. That He's the one who's going to fix their hearts. It's not about the list that you keep, the boxes that you check, the things that you do. But man, it's about fixing your eyes on the one who's done it all already. How exhausting would that be? Having a whole checklist. Saying, I got to make sure I check every single box. Because if I don't check one of these boxes, I'm going to be condemned to hell. That is crazy. And there's people, unfortunately, there's Christians that live their life like that. When I first became a Christian, I lived my life like that. I try to be perfect in every aspect of my life. And then when I get into scripture and I see that Paul is one that struggles with sin. An apostle. Paul, Paul was a murderer. Okay, He was out persecuting Christians. Not only persecuting them, killing them. And then he had an encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. So how is it? Paul. A murderer gets changed into an apostle how does that happen and even now Paul writes while he's an apostle he's still struggling with sin that gives me hope I have hope in that because I know that it's not perfection that I have to chase doesn't mean I'm gonna live a life of immorality right But many Christians believe that once you have the Holy Spirit, you will never sin again. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because what does that do? That condemns you. That condemns you. And it's false because we see Paul and he says, I still sin. I still have struggles. There is a big difference between committing sin and practicing sin. Okay, we understand this. The Christian will commit a sin. We're not living a lifestyle of practicing that sin. Two very different things. Two very different things. So legalism is put to death when you realize that you cannot keep these commandments because we are rebellious people at heart. We need something outside of ourselves. Listen to Paul in the next verse. And these next verses... Pay very close attention to what he's going to say. Verse 14 For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. And Paul here, he knows it. The commandments are good, the commandments are spiritual. And look what he says. I am of the flesh. I know what's right. I know what I should do. But I keep doing the opposite. And he says, I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm doing the things that I hate. And how many times hasn't that happened to us? We know what we should be doing. But we do the exact opposite of that. It's our flesh that causes us to do what we don't want. Have you guys been there before? I know what's right here. I know, Lord, what I'm supposed to do. But I'm going to do the exact opposite of what you're telling me to do. That's intense, man. That's crazy to do that. But we do it. We do it because our flesh is carnal. Because we're still living in this flesh. And that's what Paul is is saying here. So there's a battle between the two. And Paul says he doesn't even understand his own actions. And maybe that's many of you. We just don't know why we act a certain way, why we say certain things. And it always reminds me of James chapter 3 when I preached it. and uh, When James spoke on taming the tongue, it's like, man, like, I need to learn how to keep my mouth shut. But I continue to speak things that are unprofitable. We don't understand our own actions. And we do the very thing that we know is wrong. This is not me saying it. This is what Paul's talking about. Paul's the one that's writing this. and in verse 16, he says it now. If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's intense to hear. That is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. <laughs> oh my goodness. I think we could all agree that, that we know what's right. We know what is good. And we know what is right and good because, it's what I told you earlier, because we know what is wrong. And we wouldn't know what right is if we didn't know what wrong is. And, and this is our life sometimes. It becomes a roller coaster ride in our faith, and at one moment we're on top and everything is going great, and, and we're, in, we're in the Word and we're in prayer and, and only have worship music in the car. And this week I'm not gonna play Bad Bunny in my car, but I wanna listen to Hillsong. You guys know what I'm talking about, okay? So, so we're, we're in these things, and then from one second to another, we're down. Our flesh rises up, and we, be, we become just so inconsistent with the things of God, it's like, wait, wait, hold on, what happened here? I'm starting to do the things that I don't want to do. And look what Paul says. I know that nothing good dwells within me. That is my flesh. And why is that? It's because the flesh is carnal. And we want to do what is right, but Paul says we can't carry it out. We continue to do the evil that we don't want to do. And this is what the commandments bring out, the carnality of man. It's really a mirror of our brokenness. That's what it is. The commandments do nothing but convict us. Very important verse here, verse 20. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin that dwells within me. It kind of sounds like he's shifting the blame here. You know what I mean? He's saying, well, you know, when I sin, it's not really me that's doing it. I have the Spirit of God. I mean, it's not me. I'm not really going to take accountability here. That's not what Paul is talking about, okay? He takes accountability for what he does. He's saying that the flesh that rises up, the sin, is not part of the new him. It's the old Paul. It's not new Paul. It's old Paul. Maybe some of you have read the scripture in the Bible when it says that we are now a new creation, that the old has died and the new has come forth. So, in our new state, we are not acting under the direction of our sinful flesh. What happens is this, is when we now sin, it's our old self that is coming out. The old ugly, the old bitterness, the old gossip... The old lust, the old hatred. You guys get my drift here, right? That's what comes out. We go back to the old us. We go back to to, to the one prior to Jesus, right? The old us that Jesus took a cross for. And this is what Paul is saying. It's not him. It's not me that's doing it. It's the sin that dwells within me. The old Paul, the old man, the new creation doesn't function in that way. And he recognizes it. And he knows it. He knows that the sin that rises from his flesh is not of the new creation in which God has called him to be. But Paul knows it. That there's a battle within us. And it's okay. Listen, the battle is okay. We're not going crazy. Don't think that we're here and, man, we're schizophrenic and one day I'm good and one day I'm not. I have multiple personalities. What is... You're not going crazy. Paul is addressing it here. Every single one of us has this battle. It's the flesh versus the spirit. The flesh versus the spirit. And it always reminds me of 1 John uh, chapter 4. It says, greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. The battle is going to continue, but we we must remember the one who lives within us has conquered sin already. Amen? So the battle with the flesh may keep on, but there is going to be a day when we will be in the presence of God and this battle will be no more. This battle will be no more. Verse 21, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And again, he stayed in it. He wants to do what is right. And when the moment comes to do the right thing, bam, evil is there. Evil lies close at hand. It's like the enemy is like literally on our shoulders saying, don't do it. That's not what you want to do. The enemy starts speaking a different word to us. And this is where our spiritual warfare really starts. It starts within our minds. And Paul says that it takes us captive and it just takes over us. And spiritual warfare of the mind can be very difficult. Okay? I don't know if you guys have gone through spiritual warfare of the mind. Something that I battle with constantly is my mind. I know Pastor Regal has opened up about that here before. But my mind, at times, takes control of me. And I could go down a rabbit hole of thoughts that would take me to a place that is so dark. That takes me to a place that I am so desperate. And it's things that I'm making up within my own mind. Things that have never happened. Things that will never come to pass. And I just start with the what ifs. What if this happens? What if I can't control this? What if this person reacts a certain way? And I start this stuff in my mind. Things that have never happened that will never happen and that will never come to pass. Do you guys identify with that in here today? Spiritual warfare of the mind can be very dangerous. That's why in Ephesians 6, it says to put on the full armor of God so that you can withstand the evil one. And that's what I go back to when I start feeling this way. I, I'm I equipped is God's armor on me today. I could go two, three, four weeks with God's armor, but then that day I decide not to pick up my sword is the day that the attack is going to come. And guess what? The attack is here, and I'm not ready for battle. And when you're not ready for battle, what happens? I'm going to get defeated. I get defeated. Sometimes you get killed in battle, right? Right? Sometimes you get defeated in battle. Sometimes you get taken as a prisoner in battle. A lot of times, I get taken as a prisoner. Because what happens when you're a prisoner? You start to get tortured as a prisoner. And that's what happens to me. I get taken prisoner. I get taken captive by the things in my mind. And I get tortured in things of my mind. Because I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared to discern what is the lie and what is truth? So I encourage you to put on God's armor every single day. Verse 24, and I could picture Paul writing this Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I could like picture Paul screaming this Wretched man that I am. Have you ever screamed something similar? Like, I just can't believe I keep doing these things. I thought when I came to Christ, that was it. I wasn't going to have to deal with my sin nature anymore. I was going to be perfect. I was going to be joyful. My life was going to be easy. And everything was going to be great all the time. That's what I thought when I came to the Lord first. That's not what the gospel is. That's not what the Bible teaches, right? It sounds like a Christianity that's sold in some churches here in America today. Just come to Jesus. Everything's going to be perfect. And everything's going to be great. No more sin. No more struggle. You're always going to walk in victory. But make sure you leave your tithe on the way out to church so these things can come to pass. That's not the gospel, man. We know that's not the gospel. Our sin was dealt with on the cross. And every day we are being more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Your new heart is being worked on and it's going to continue to be worked on. First, Philippians 1.6 says, Be confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. We're being conformed every single day. We're not going to be perfect. I, I, I promise you that. There is no perfection while we're here on earth. The perfection is going to happen when we're glorified. Where we're, when we're in the throne room of God, we're in His presence. That's where perfection happens. But while we're here, we're not going to be perfect, and it's okay. It's okay. And Paul says, like, the frustration that we get, like Paul said, I'm so wretched. And what are we going to do about it? Well, What do I have to do? Do I have to behave a little bit better? Do I need to pray a little bit more? Do I have to watch what I say more closely? Do I need to be more good? Because Paul said earlier, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my flesh. That's what he's talking about—the flesh, the cardinality of the flesh. And he knows that we just, we can't be good. We become exhausted. We get so tired, and he becomes just—it becomes a roller coaster for us. Paul seemed like a man that was tired. When I read Scripture and I read his letters and the epistles, he seemed like a man that was tired. He knows the battle. He he knew what was right, but he kept doing the very thing that he didn't want to do. And I love verse twenty-four, the end of it, and he says this. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This is going to be the first time in these verses that Paul is going to make any reference to Jesus. Because the whole time he's been speaking about himself, about his failures, about his sin, about what's right and wrong, about how the commandments condemn us. He's speaking on the failures and the wickedness of the flesh. And it's like he's building this case for us, he's showing us we can't do anything about it. We need to be saved from this, from something outside of ourselves. Worship team, if you want to play something in the background. Hey, and, and Paul now says, Who's going to save me? He can't do it. We can't do it. There has to be something outside of his heart, outside of the flesh, that is going to deliver us. He's at a place of like, kind of like desperation here. Have you ever been so desperate for something? It's not a fun feeling. It's not a fun feeling to feel desperate. We, we need an answer to something. We, we need something to happen. And, and, and we'll do anything to get that. And that's how Paul must have been. He must have felt so broken. Like who's going to put me back together? I can't do what's right. I keep doing wrong. And this could be the story of our lives. We become desperate. We become broken. We don't know where to turn. We don't know what to do. And many times we just continue to live in that because we forget about the one who can deliver us. And in Paul's desperation, look what he says in verse 25. Verse 25, the first sums up what The cure to the problem is that he has, that we have. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. How simple this is. But yet so many times we forget it. We get so focused in our problems that we forget that Jesus is here to deliver It may not be in a way that you expect. It may not be the answer that you want. But I know the truth of Scripture. And when he says this, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. I believe him. And I rest in that. What a powerful chapter here in chapter 7. And Paul really outlines important things and the condition of the human heart. He exposes our condition and He points us to the remedy. And all of this is set up for the good news. And we have to understand. We have to understand the sickness before we would ever want the cure. So we have to understand that because of our sin, we are sick. But there is a cure that is found in Jesus. You can't go to the doctor today. If you have cancer and tell the doctor, the doctor's telling you you're very sick, but you refuse to accept it. If you refuse to accept the illness, you will never want the cure. And I could stand before you here today and tell you, I in my own life have, have accepted that I am a sick person. I'm sick because of the sin in my heart, but because I have recognized the illness, because I have recognized the sickness, I am desperate for the cure. And it's the cure that's found in Jesus. So Paul has confronted us with these things. And maybe some of us could feel down about them. Maybe some of us, if not most of us, are living in this very same struggle that Paul lived. Striving for perfection, trying to do more. And we keep failing. We keep living in shame. We keep living in guilt. We're living in defeat because we just keep doing the things that we don't want to do. I want to leave you with this one last verse. And it's the verse that we're going to jump into next time I'm up here. It's Romans 8, verse 1. And I want you to really meditate on this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Can can we get an amen there? you guys stand with me today in all of our wreckage in all of our sin there is a promise that we are not condemned we can leave our shame we can leave our guilt at the foot of the cross knowing that we have an advocate pleading to the father on our behalf church you are not condemned you are not condemned. In those times of desperation, in those times of guilt, in those times of shame, in those times where your thoughts take you to a deep and dark place, in those times where you're holding on to bitterness because you just can't let go of what a brother or sister did to you, of what a family member did to you, in those times of anger, in those times of just we start living in a place of habitual sin and we don't know how to get out of it. We don't know what we're going to do. In those times when we keep trying to do what is right but we keep doing the very things that we don't want to do. Know this that you're not condemned. Christ sees it. Jesus sees it. He knows it. And he's calling you. He's you saying you're a son. You're a daughter. You're not condemned. You may be getting tripped up, but I'm right beside you. I'm right next to you. You don't have to live in condemnation. Give me your shame. Give me your guilt. The desperation that you have, give it to me. He's ready to carry it, church. But are you ready to let it go? I want to encourage you today. Let it go let it go he wants to carry it for you I know that the burden could be hard the burden could be heavy I know the desperation gets, just gets overwhelming sometimes that you don't know what you're going to do you don't know how when tomorrow comes you don't know how you're going to survive I know the feeling And Jesus is there and he's saying come to me I've been here the whole time let me take this from you to it anymore, church. You're not condemned. You're not condemned. Can We stretch out our arms here today. Lord God, we come before you here today, Lord. Lord, and we thank you for the word, Lord. We thank you for the words that you have given Paul that he has written down and we could reflect on it here 2,000 years later and how applicable this word is here today. us so Lord I don't know who needed to hear this to hear today I don't know who's carrying this shame I don't know who's carrying this guilt but Lord God I pray Lord that you just penetrate the deepest parts of their heart here today that they could live in a freedom that they could live from a place of joy just knowing that you hold every single piece of their life together So, Lord, we give you all of the honor, all of the praise, and we surrender our lives here to you today. We love you, Lord. Together we say yes and amen. Give them the greatest praise in here today.